I want to invite you to turn to James chapter 4 with me. And there are two questions. One is in the passage, and I have another question for the rest of you. James chapter 4. Our study, Lord willing, will cover the first ten verses of this passage. And the passage begins with this kind of question that James writes. He says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Now, this is the first century church. These are new converts to what is called, according to the book of Acts, the way. They are referred to in other areas of the Roman Empire as being Christians. They were given that name in the city of Antioch. They were named Christians. And when we see in the early birth of the church in Acts chapter 3, everyone was getting along, selling stuff, giving it to the poor, coming together in houses, fellowshipping, breaking of bread daily. And here, James opens with an interesting question about wars and fightings. Doesn't that somewhat cause us to stop and ask the next question? Which James doesn't ask, but I'm going to ask it anyway. How does that happen? How does it go from Acts chapter 3 to James chapter 4, and all of a sudden he's dealing with fightings and wars, when Luke deals with friendship, sharing of bread, giving things away. What happened? Chapter 3 ends with a moment of peace. Chapter 4 begins with wars and fightings. What happened? Hmm. I'm going to answer that question in a moment. But before I answer the question, i got to make sure it's God's answer. So we need to seek wisdom from on high. Let's pray together. Lord, This passage perplexed me. I trust it has even struck that kind of chord in the people that you have gathered here this morning. How can we leave moments of peace to engage ourselves in fightings and wars? How is it that we leave the wisdom from on high and engage ourselves in earthly wisdom? How is it that we can speak both blessing and cursing from our mouth? What happened, Lord? 
God, I pray that you would stir our hearts today. Stir our hearts with the truth of your word. And what causes such things as James writes for us here. I thank you for your word. I, I'm glad it was not written to appease man, but to praise you. For if it was written to appease man, then there would not be such a question in, in James chapter 4. But because it was written for the purpose that you commanded it to be written for, it is profitable. It's profitable for us to stop and to ponder, oh Lord God, what happened to this, to this new church. What was it that raised in them wars and fightings? And Lord, at the, but then again, we, we look at the, the present church today worldwide. And we have some of the same problems. We engage ourselves and some of the same situations. I guess that's why your word says there's nothing new under the sun. We don't have to travel too far. We don't have to listen too hard. Nor do we need to study too long to realize that though James is writing directly to a new church and people who are dispersed, but yet he's also writing to us today also. And I pray, O oh God, that what James gave to them would also be something that we would desire to incorporate in our lives. May your words be my words, your thoughts my thoughts. I know, Lord, that your wisdom is much higher than mine. So I need your Spirit to guide and direct the thoughts that I have. That they would be directed toward the hearts of all of us here today. I pray, O oh God, too, that you would receive the honor and the glory that is due your name. And I pray, oh, by your Spirit, that you would protect us this morning while we are seated here. Protect us from the onslaught of the forces of darkness that would try to disrupt our service. That would try to deter our thoughts. Would try to deaden our hearts. Protect us. And make us alive, oh Lord God. And I'll praise you in your name. Amen. I do need to make one other announcement. And, and Terry, this is not something that you forgot. This is something that I needed to make. The flowers that you see on the table here are in honor of our uh, dear sister Loretta Phillips, who 
went home to be with the Lord uh, last Wednesday morning. Her gravesite service will be uh, uh, Tuesday. It's to be, as Loretta said, the plans have already been in motion. I don't know how many years she stated it, but she said she did not want people staring at her in a box. She was and is the epitome of a lady. And so we are going by her wishes. But these flowers were placed here by her family members as a token of the memory of her. And, and as you can tell, does someone need to leave? Okay. Didn't know if it was you guys had to go and chase a burglar or something. I didn't know that. But as these flowers are delicately positioned in just the right position, they remind me of Loretta. There was not one hair out of place. In fact, in speaking with Fred, he says, I don't know how I'm going to dress myself from now on. Because she was the one that said, this goes with that. And she wanted to make sure he was in good shape before he left home. So let's remember the Phillips family uh, this coming week in the service and also in the days to follow. Let me continue to read now in James chapter 4, 1 through 10. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your own desires for pleasures that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, and yet you do not have because you do not ask. And there should be an amendment here also that before you get to verse 3, because you do not ask, and oh, by the way, you ask the wrong way. (laughs) You ask and don't receive because you ask amiss and that you spend it on your own pleasures. Adulteresses, the adulterers and are two words that don't appear in, in, the, uh, in the, 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 uh, the first writings. But anyway, I'll, I'll just say it this way. Those of you who have backed away from promises, and do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Don't miss that statement. Don't go over that too quickly. And that should have arrested your eyes and said, whoa, what kind of statement is that? And James is saying, if you want to be a friend of the world, that will make you an enemy of God. Or do you think the Scripture says in vain, the spirit that who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. 
Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. Where do wars and fights come from? This descriptiveness that James uses here causes us to at least ask the question, what happened? What is it that would cause believer people to lust and don't have, murder and covet and cannot obtain, fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask? That's not a pretty picture. If anything, that is what James is attacking in this church. Remember chapter 1, he's talking about maturing in Christ. And he says trials and tribulations are the foundation of maturing in Christ. In chapter 2, it's all about the practical usage of maturity and the fact that we don't show favoritism to people. The ground at the cross, dear people, is level. And it welcomes everybody. doesn't matter what lifestyle you come from. doesn't matter what stage of life you are in. James says it's available. In chapter 3, he talks about teaching and he talks about wisdom. But all of a sudden now, it just seems a switch has flipped and the whole thing turns topsy-turvy, as we used to say in New York State. And now we're faced with the description of a church that's in a mess. How did that happen? What caused this kind of disruption in and amongst their being? I think the answer is, part of the answer is not just in this passage. I want you to turn with me to another passage in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. Just go back a few books. If you hit Galatians, take a right and go to Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 2. And verses 1 to 10. I think part of the answer to our dilemma is answered in this passage. And it goes something like this. And you, He made alive who were dead. You ought to pause there for a minute and think of what Paul is saying. And you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. We were dead without Christ. In fact, just quickly, just turn one page to to the right. And when you go to chapter 1, 
and, and in verse uh, verse 13 and 14. It says, In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of prophets, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the glory of God. And you, He made alive, who were dead and trespasses and sin. In whom, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. But God, you need to stop there too. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us all together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Why is it that James would begin his tirade up till now, I think if James was preaching this sermon out of, out of the book, he'd be kind of quiet and sort of meek and mild. But he gets to James 4 and he drops the hammer. And he says, how can this be? Let me give you at least my answer of how it can be, not just in James, who he was writing to, but also to present church situations. The reason that we can turn so quickly from the riches that are in Christ Jesus and by His grace is that we forget from whom we have come. 
we believe that we did us a favor by trusting Jesus. And we forget those two letters, those two words, but God. We haven't done God a favor, but He has blessed us with all the riches of Christ Jesus. And someone ought to say amen. We get fighting and we get warring because we forget what Jesus Christ has done for us. And James says the reason we do that is because we want our pleasures and we want our deal. What's in it for me? We got this wrong idea, dear people, of what it is to be a child of God. Because it's not about me. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. It's not about you. It's about God and who He is and what He's done for us. And James has even told us that the reason we get involved in this stuff is because we become involved more in the wisdom of earth than of the wisdom of heaven. When you read James 4, 1 and 10, and, and mark in your Bibles if, if you do that, at the top of James 4, verse 1, just put Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. They coincide because both of them give to us what I've listed there for you the problem. The crucial issue of where do wars and fights come from among you. The three critical areas that we need to overcome, here they are, the flesh, the world, and the devil. The same are listed in Ephesians 2, 1-10. The flesh, the world, and the devil. The flesh is described in verses 1-3. to You do not have, you, you, you do they not come from your desires for pleasures in war, that war in your members, the flesh. When we speak of the flesh, we speak of our the falling of, of humans, if you will. All began in Genesis chapter 3. It's sin. The flesh. Whenever writers of the Scripture refer to the flesh, they're not saying that that, that system that covers your internal system is bad. 
Because both Paul and James directs us to where the fleshly lusts come from. They come from our mind. Our wisdom has been adulterated from the glory of heaven to the wants and the desires of the earth. And when we don't get what we want, we begin to react as children. Where's mine? That's not fair. One individual that I heard most recently describe the flesh as it relates to children and particularly babies when he said, they're nothing more than vipers and diapers. They get angry. Babies have a way of controlling you. Where's my food? And they don't say it in those words. You know, Mama, what we're talking about. And when they don't get what they want, they stiffen up and begin to turn red-faced and get angry. Don't ever say, isn't that cute? No, that's sin. But when that happens in an adult, now we got a bigger problem. Because they have forgotten. But God. But if it wasn't for God, where would you be? If it wasn't for His grace and His mercy and sending Jesus Christ to die for us, where would you be? When we say life isn't fair, and I'm glad life isn't fair, Because if God was fair, none of us would be here today. And when we forget that, we begin to act like this. And you, He's made alive. Who once were dead. No hope. At all. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. But by grace through faith and in trusting Jesus Christ, and someone ought to say hallelujah, God has given to us eternal life. And James, I think, in his passage, is saying this. If you are a child of God, start acting like it. Be who God wants you to be. Not who the world wants you to be. The flesh says, my mind's telling me this is what I want. But when you pick up the Word of God, all of a sudden you get a different perspective, don't you? The next world, the the world is the world system. It's everything that runs contrary to the Word of God. Everything that runs contrary to the Word of God and who He is. 
then all of a sudden we're faced with the devil. <laughs> James says, resist him and he'll flee from you. But you can't resist, oh, I can't get ahead of myself. You can't resist him if you don't do something first. The flesh, I want. The world, it wants. The devil, he wants. Some of my greatest thoughts that come to my mind is when I'm mowing my lawn. And a thought came to my mind, and I've shared this with the leadership team, our elders and deacons. Why is it in Genesis chapter 3 when Satan came and tempted the woman and he began to introduce the thought process of the flesh when he said, man, everything else in this garden looks pretty good. Paraphrasing. Can you have everything? And the woman answered, partly correct. Oh, we can have everything, but the tree that's in the middle of the garden, we're not supposed to eat that, nor can we touch it. Oh. What happens if you do? We'll die. What was Satan's answer to the woman? You won't die. Have you ever contemplated why did he say that? You won't die. How did he know? Uh, essays have been written as to what that word die means. Spiritually, physically, because we know as time went on and you're reading the book of the Genesis, old people all of a sudden weren't staying so long on this earth. They died younger. I got another thought. You hammer it out on the anvil of your own faith. I really believe Satan said that because he said, you're not going to die. Do you know what I did? And I'm still alive. I hated God. I even said, I will be as God. Oh, I got kicked out of heaven, but I'm still here. I didn't die. Go ahead. You won't die. That's the world and the devil and the flesh all wrapped up in that one statement. Go ahead. Have it your way. I don't know why Burger King made that announcement. Have it your way. Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. It's all about me. The world system wants it to know it's all about you. Do whatever you want. And over time, the confinements of that have been pushed back to where it's now. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And when that affects the church, 
we got problems. So, what are the three things we need to do in order to overcome these three areas? First is this, submit to God. Submit to God. What does that mean? What do you mean by submit, Pastor? I, I don't like that word. I know you don't. Because our members don't like that. The flesh doesn't like that. Submit to God. It literally means this. Put yourself underneath who God is. It's not God and me. No, it's God alone. It's not my will be done, but His will be done. It's Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. Present yourself a living sacrifice unto God. Submitting is literally putting my head down. And those of you that have worked with a team of horses and even more stringently a team of oxen, you realize that there are times when they don't want to pull the wagon. They don't want that harness on them. And they straighten their necks out. Submit means to bow and allow the yoke to be put on you. Which Jesus said, my yoke is easy and it's light. Submit to God. And the reason you need to do that is because once you do that, then you'll be able to resist the devil and he'll flee from you. You can't do that in your own strength. It is only by Revelation chapter 11 when it says they overcame him by the word of the testimony and by the blood of the Lamb. You can't do that in your own strength. You must submit to God. Then you can resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Secondly, draw near to God. Submit to God. Draw near to God. I'm at that age now that my wife and I have never owned a car that doesn't have bucket seats. And I'm getting tired of it. When I was driving my mom and dad's car, oh, my wife drew near nice. Slid right over next to me. Can I get an amen from the men in the congregation? Oh, yeah. They were that close that if you made a quick right-hand turn, you'd cross her right in the chops. Draw near to God. How do we do that? This is going to be a simple formula, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. Because if you're like me, I need simple things. We draw near to God by first fellowshipping with Him in His Word. God, what is it that You have for me today? And then coming before Him and in prayer. And as you're praying, make sure you stop once in a while to see if He's talking back. 
Oh, you may not hear an audible voice, but you'll sense something in your heart. Another good thing to draw near to God is fellowship. Do you know that's why God instituted the church? For fellowship, so that we can encourage one another in the things of Jesus Christ. Draw near to God. And I love the next part. And He's going to draw near to you. In other words, the choice is yours. How much of God do you want in your life? How much do you want Him to be a part of your life? How much of Him do you want Him to control your life? You get close to Him. Oh, He's going to snuggle right up to you. In fact, He's already done that by giving us the Holy Spirit who is the parakletos. And the parakletos means someone who comes and stands alongside you. He is that close and that intimate with you that He's already in you in Jesus Christ. And by the presence of the Holy Spirit. He's already there. He's just asking you, you snuggle close to me and oh man, I'll be right there. I'll be right there. Lastly, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And He will lift you up. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And He will lift you up. Humility is not weakness. Humility is literally depending on someone else to do that which you cannot do. That's what humility is. We're too often like our children. I can do it myself. Five minutes later, they come to you and say, now can you help me tie my shoe? See, I'm convinced that's why they invented Velcro. Some parent got it in their mind. I got to invent something that my child isn't bothering me, so I'm going to invent Velcro. And they put it on their shoes and they just strap that over. They've lost an opportunity. Because when you say to your child, let me help you, no, let me do it myself, pretty soon they'll come back and now you've got a great teaching moment. God does the same thing to us, doesn't He? I can do it myself, God. Okay, I'll wait. Uh, God, can you help me out here? I'd love to. All you got to do is ask. James is saying, you want to have victory over the flesh, the world, and the devil? And you've got to submit, draw yourself, and humble yourself to God. Then He will lift you up. Let's pray. 
God, forgive me for forgetting what I once was. And I thank You for what You have done. Oh God, I I think at times You need to implant that as a brand across my forehead. Simply saying this, don't forget. We tie strings around our fingers. They're supposed to be there to remind us. But we're so fickle, we look at that string and even wonder, why did I put that string on my finger? God, we need to be reminded of what we would be if it wasn't for You. And then we need to thank You for what it is that You have made us. Children of the Most High God. Then, we can subdue fightings and wars in our members. We can get away from our lustful desires. We'll be able to walk victoriously as we step over the things that we should not be involved with. It's because, Lord, we've been called in our lives as Paul has reminded us that there's a certain way we're supposed to walk We are the workmanship of Jesus Christ. And there's a certain way that has already been determined that we're to walk in it. Not by our own strength, or for our own glory, but all for You. As the old song says, remind us. Remind us, O Lord throw back the curtains of memory now and then. Show me where you've brought me from and where I could have been. Remind us, Lord. And we'll praise you. Thank you in your name. Amen.